Thank you, worship team. That last song is quite a classic truth, is it not? It's hard, hard to sing. It's one of those things that, as we'll look at this passage, I, just, I think this song is a good example of. It's one of those things that we know is true. We give mental assent is true, but we don't live as though it's true, right? If, if you're honest, it's hard to sing that. Rather have Jesus than men's applause. But as you know, that can go away in a heartbeat. Rather have Jesus than a vast domain. Our riches, our wealth, our security. It's so hard to sing that, even when we know it's true. And Jesus is going to bring a passage before us today as he continues the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to turn there, it's going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. And he's going to tell you something you know is true. He's spent this week telling me something I know is true, but I don't always live like I know it's true. And he was talking to people who knew this was true because the things he talks about happened on a daily basis to them. And he said, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you have to live as though this is true. You have to live this out. And that's the challenge of that song, and that's the challenge of this passage. And um, I just need to start by telling you, it's hard. And there are days where I just don't want to do it. My flesh is just in rebellion against that. So let's gather as a church and go into this passage and we'll pray that God makes us, God shapes our heart to be like what Christ calls us to do in this passage. In spite of all the attractive lesser things in this world. So I'm really looking forward to summer. Especially as we get this kind of reoccurring winter cycle that's upon us. And I'm looking forward to it because some of my favorite things to do in summer take place outside. I like to hike. I like to camp. I like to fish. I like to go to the beach with my kids. And I grew up doing these same kinds of things as many of you probably being Michiganders did too. And one of the things that I think I grew up doing and you probably do with your kids and grandkids and your friends, that is a really good picture for for what we're going to see in God's word today. Spending time on the beach building sandcastles. And I think it's a good picture because, you know, when you go out to the beach, you spend time digging maybe little ponds and you get down to where the water level is and they have a habit of kind of beginning to fill themselves back in, right? They collapse. It's not possible to get it to just stay as you dug it. And if, if you're like me, you also like to build little, little ditches that take Lake Michigan water and cycle them around your castle like a moat, but inevitably that same water that creates a pretty sweet moat comes in in the form of just a giant wave and washes your sandcastle down. You build it a little too close to the shore. Or if you're like my kids, your little brother will come along and investigate what you have built, look at your riches, and stomp all over them or sit down on them or make some adjustments that aren't really helpful. You probably grew up doing this, and you probably, like I said, do this with your kids and your grandkids. The reason why I think this is an important kind of picture for us as we look at what Christ says is knowing what's going to happen to that sandcastle, knowing that it's going to be washed away. You could build an epic car-sized sandcastle on the shore of Lake Michigan, and in a couple days, it'll be gone. You go back out there the next day, and it's washed away. Knowing that, though, you still go out and build sandcastles. You still go out and dig little tributaries and little moats, and you build little piles of sand and creations. And you know, though, you have a perspective that's proper, knowing that this is going to get washed away. It's temporary. 
You don't say it's going to get washed away, it's temporary, so I might as well not do it. You don't say there's no value to it. And as you walk along the beach and you see little kids having a great time, you say, you're, you're wasting your time on that. You know what's going to happen, right, you fool? It's going to be washed away. You don't do that. You don't stop your kids at the side of the parking lot and say, don't waste your time building sandcastles. You can do anything else, just don't waste your time doing that because it's going to be gone. But as a kid, you learn that proper perspective, right? The first time your kid brother smashes it or the first time a wave comes in and washes away your work, you get that instant perspective of everything I build with sand is temporary and is going to be washed away, taken away by somebody else, or a beach walker is going to come by and stomp on it. Jesus does this in this passage today. He takes the things that we build up, the things that we put our time and energy and effort into and our trust and our value into, It gives us a proper perspective. He's not the mean parent saying, don't bother, don't waste your time on this, saying there's no value to it. He adjusts our perspective in helping us understand, much like the sandcastles on the shore, much like those little creations that you put your time and energy into, it's going to be washed away. It's going to to be destroyed. Some point or another, it's going to fail. See, we know that's true about the beach, and we... No, this passage is true about our lives, but if you're like me and if you're going to be just blatantly honest, it's not something that we live out as true in our lives. We still spend time scraping and piling and pushing and forming something that we think is going to last forever and are shocked when a wave comes along and wipes it off the face of the earth. Or we're shocked when we see that happen to somebody else. Wow, they had so much. They had such a great, such a great um, name They had such great wealth. They had such great security. I had so much, whatever it is, and it just gets wiped off. So Jesus is going to help us, and and I pray that he uses this time to help you and I adjust the perspective of how we look at these earthly things. Because we know it's true, and I hope as a result of our time and the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts today, we live as though it's true this week. Let's pray. God, I give you this time, and I know your word is true. Father, I, I repent, and, and we repent for not living as though it's true. Send your Spirit to illumine in our hearts the things that we are putting above you and more important to than you and working after more than you, that we have our eye on more than you. Whatever it is for the individuals in this church and those at home, It's so important that we have this perspective, Father, and I just know that it will be what you use to make your kingdom come and your will be done. Help us to pray that and live that out as much as we know it to be true in our heads. Thank you for your word and its effectiveness and its power and the time that you give us as a church family just to sit and ponder your goodness and the truth in it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you're uh, with your copy of scriptures, we'll be in Matthew 6, verse 19 through 24. We encourage you to look at this. It'll be on the slides behind me, but we encourage you, whether you're at home or here at church, to pick up your own copy of God's Word and read along. If you don't have a copy of God's Word that you understand or you don't have a Bible, we always have a couple copies of God's Word in the back on the silver table. We'd love for you to take one, make it yours. If it's hard to understand, we can help you find one that That might be easier to understand. We would love for you to have your own copy of God's Word. Let's go into reading this passage and seeing how Christ is going to adjust our perspective. 
It's hard because it starts out with a command. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. It's not life advice. It's not just counsel or an option. He's laying out commands for people who are going to be a part of this new kingdom. He spent the time on the Sermon on the Mount saying, you're not going to live like this. You're going to live like this. You're not going to be, the last couple passages, you're not going to be like the hypocrites who fast this way, give this way, pray this way. He shows us the real way to do it. So today he's going to talk about, you're not going to be like the hypocrites who, who care about the now and only care about what's in front of people and only care about earthly treasures. You're going to be like my people with an eye towards my, my eternity, the eternity with me, heavenly treasures. So he starts out by commanding us, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. See, this is why I say, I know you know this is true. Because we spend all of our time getting and maintaining and protecting and upkeeping all of our things, right? Is there anybody who spends their, their chore time in the week cleaning and polishing and maintaining all of their stuff? Jesus is pointing out to a group of people who know better than you or I how perishable things are, right? This is the age before refrigeration and preservatives and silver polish and freezers. This is the age of... Your clothes were a status symbol. And you know what loved your clothes? Little wool moths. Little larvae that will eat up your favorite jacket, your favorite cloak, which, by the way, costs a fortune because it's made by hand. And he's saying those treasures that you're securing up, thinking someday I'll pay off this, or I'll buy that field, or I'll buy that vacation home, are going are gonna to fail too. They're going to rust. So it's not just metallic things. It's not just cloth, but this is... These are words that this crowd would have known meant just the failure of the earthly goods that they have their security in. On earth, moth and rust destroy, he says, and where thieves break in and steal. When I was a little kid, we were away camping for a weekend. See, I, I love doing it because that's what we grew up doing. We were away camping for a weekend and some people broke into my parents' house. And they stole some electronics and they stole some really sentimental family jewelry and it's, there's the things that get taken, right? The, the things that are valuable that get taken. But if, you're, if your house has ever been broken into, there's also that feeling of somebody else has been in here that I didn't invite, that wasn't my friend. I don't know what they did. I don't know what they look at. I don't know what they took. Were they, were they in my bedroom? Were they in my kitchen? Were they in my living room? There's that violation of security. And once that's happened, you always know it's a reality. If it hasn't ever happened, you might see it on the news. You might know that thieves break in and steal. But once you've been stolen from, you know you could always be stolen from again. Your, your security wasn't perfect. It wasn't impenetrable. Same thing was true back then. Their houses were made out of literal mud and hay. They were not Fort Knox. So they knew it was easily possible for somebody to steal what they had worked for. There's multiple parables and stories and references in God's Word in the New Testament, in the early Gospels of people being robbed on the way, on the road. So he's saying, don't put your treasures in these things. They will be failing, or they will fail you, and they'll be taken. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now you probably have in your mind, or are beginning to have in your mind, the things that are your earthly treasures, right? Finances, maybe your name, maybe your, your just earthly security. You know, things are pretty stable, they're going pretty good. Maybe it's something else, though. Maybe it's your time. I know for me, this is one of the areas I really struggle with this passage. I'll just tell you, 
I like my time being mine. I like to do projects that are mine. And I like to build up my kingdom with my time. And Jesus would say, well, Brandon, that mindset is completely wrong. This is time I've given you, things I've given you, work I've given you to do. So whether it be time or some of these financial uh, treasures or security or your family or your health, I'm pretty healthy, pretty able. How quickly that can go away, right? We know that just with people in our own church family and and in in our own home families, how quickly your health can turn from perfect to stage four something. How quickly it can just twist from I can do anything I want, I'm able to do. Now I've lost these abilities. Now I've lost this health security. So those are probably some of the earthly treasures you're thinking about as a result of this passage. But it's harder to talk about what are treasures in heaven because it seems kind of hard to pin down, right? So I would like to offer you some of the things, and we'll talk about some indicators here in a moment of if you're doing this. So Because if, if you're like me, you'll read a passage like this. God will use it to begin to sink into your heart, I'm not doing this. How do I know if I am doing it? But let's just to begin, let's talk about some things that are earthly treasures. Well, I think, or heavenly treasures, I'm sorry. I think that this is good news for a lot of you guys in this church. At the same way that the passage is hard news, I think there's some good news. Because I see, Pastor Nathan and I especially, get to see you guys set up heavenly treasures. Well, what does that look like? Well, I think it looks like a single mom or dad bringing their kids to church every week. Where you're, you're batting full tilt for your family as a single parent, and you come in on your day off and bring your children to church, bring them on a weekday, work night to Awana so that they can be discipled and hear God's word, learn about Jesus, sing songs with their, with their friends. You go that extra mile as a parent to bring your kids to church. Single parent, grandparent bringing your kids to church, you're laying up heavenly treasures. They cannot be corrupted. I think it looks like the mom and dad, the working mom and dad who sit down at their table and all they want to do is eat and go to sleep. Or eat, put your feet up, and go to sleep. But you spend time asking your kids or your grandkids about how their day at school was and giving them an eternal, eternal perspective response to things like, well, today was really hard because somebody's picking on me. Or today I did really bad in my homework or my project or my test. I'm really disappointed. I feel kind of like a failure. And you take the time and energy to build your child or grandchild up and encourage them. You're laying up eternal treasures. Maybe you have been given some of those earthly treasures and, you know, life is pretty financially secure and it's not quite an obsession for you. You're not bowing to that treasure, but instead you're generous. Like I said, Pastor Nathan and I get to see you guys do this. So I know there's many of you that do this. And you give. You give not only generously to this church for things like the year-end offering and our, our weekly tithe, but you give to nonprofits and Christian camps like Beach Point and our own backyard. You support ministries that make an eternal impact in other people, people that you'll never meet, and people that won't do anything back for you in return. You give generously. That'll be one of the indicators we'll talk about here in a moment. And lastly, I think this is people who serve in this church and outside of this church. You work a full-time job or are a homemaker and you come in on a Wednesday night and run Awana or you give up the privilege of sitting with your friends in church to work in one of the children's classes, sit up in the tech booth running the stream for people who are at home or traveling or play up in, in the uh, worship band helping us 
create an environment where we can all worship together. You give of your time directly to this church. Again, we see that. But as the previous passages have always been good to remind us, and it's kind of implied in this passage, you know who else sees that, right? Your Heavenly Father sees what you're doing. Your Heavenly Father sees you, single parent. Your Heavenly Father sees you, mom and dad, sitting with your children. Your Heavenly Father sees you, Sunday school teacher, worship team volunteer, tech booth volunteer. He sees you putting away eternal treasures that won't rust or corrupt. He sees you doing this. So Jesus reminds us, when you put these treasures up, when you trust me with these treasures in heaven, these eternal treasures, they can't spoil. Neither moth nor rust destroys, and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This passage includes a lot of these memorable phrases. I think that's why I can pretty confidently say we believe this is true, because we remember these passages. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Man cannot serve two masters. We remember phrases like that. But this is the, real, the reality of this passage, the, the central verse, if you will. Jesus is saying your heart is indivisible from what you treasure. You can't dabble in this treasure and this treasure and this priority and this kingdom and your kingdom and the heavenly kingdom and your own kingdom. Your heart is indivisible. It'll go one direction and it'll go wherever your treasure goes. That treasure, that word for treasure, is like this object of your affection and devotion, whatever it is. So your heart's going to go that direction. What does it mean by your heart? Your time, your energy, your efforts, your attention, your desire will go the direction that that treasure's headed. See, sometimes we, figure, we, we feel like it's, it's something we can kind of divide up, right? We can portion out part of our heart to God's work, part of our heart to our family, and a pretty good helping for ourselves, right? Our, our heart is like a, a quadrant that we can kind of part out in different ways. Jesus would say, no, your heart is a whole thing. It was made that way. It was made to be wholly devoted to something. But he doesn't choose that for you. He doesn't say, Brennan, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to just make you like a robot and say, you're devoted to my purpose. He's calling you to choose that in this passage today. He's calling you to choose to treasure things that he treasures. What Christ is calling us to in this passage is to focus on our eternal reward. Each preceding passage has reminded us your Heavenly Father sees what you do in secret and will reward you. He will reward you. He will reward you for that over and over and over. And what Christ knows is we're getting to the point in the sermon where people are going to start to get distracted. They're saying, I've done this much now. I've fasted. I've prayed. I've given. Will I get a reward? Is it going to come to any kind of fruition? Is there going to be any return on this eternal investment? There's this idea that I learned, I think, most recently from Kent Wallace when we were in a conversation about what we would like to see happen in this church family, how we would like to see God use both ministry tools at this church and, and all of us to do his work in this, in this corner of his kingdom. And he said, you know, we have to focus on investing in anything, in things with eternal reward. We have, to, we, we have to focus on return on eternal investment. We think of return on our monetary investments and return on our time investments. He says you have to focus on something with eternal rewards. So we must, in order to respond to this passage correctly and have that proper perspective that Christ is trying to give us as members of his kingdom, 
proper perspective of things in relation to eternity. We have to make our investments into eternity. We have to do those things that many of you are already doing that might not have an immediate return to you. That might not be something where you're helping somebody who also does something for you. If you remember in the earlier passage, Jesus says even the tax collectors have that part right. Instead, you're going to invest eternally. See, like I said, Jesus doesn't pick your desires for you. He doesn't just program you like a robot. He doesn't offer you financial advice and, and just make you choose what he says. He says, you need to do this, but it's up to us. It's up to us to choose if we're going to invest eternally or scrape and pull and try to form together our own kingdom. Moving on, he gets into a statement that we'll talk about a little bit, and I said this will be one of the indicators of if you're doing this. As a result of thinking through these worship songs and this passage, if, like me, you see areas of your life where you know you're holding back part for yourself, maybe it's your time, maybe it's your health, Maybe it's your energies. Maybe it's your knowledge. Think of the things you could teach somebody that you know that they could be helped with. As you're thinking about those different treasures that you're holding in an earthly way, because they're all going to be gone someday. Here's one of the indicators of if we're getting it right. The eye is the lamp of the body, he says in verse 22. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. This is difficult language to us, but it's mainly difficult because we don't speak Hebrew. If you want something to look into, if you like homework and further Bible study, look up the idea in the Old Testament of the evil eye or having an evil eye. If you want to read into what Jesus is talking about here. See, he mentions this idea of a good eye and a bad eye, a healthy eye and an evil eye as an indicator of if you're following through with eternal rewards, eternal treasures, or earthly treasures. In the Old Testament, the idea of an evil eye refers to people who are stingy or greedy, don't give of their own earthly possessions for the benefit of someone else, don't share what they have for the benefit of others. You can find passages about that in Deuteronomy as well as Proverbs. You could look it up later. It's very helpful, and I think it's one of the primary ways we can take and apply these passages. Jesus is saying, if you want to know if you have your treasures right, how willing are you to share what you have, your earthly treasures? If you really want to know, if you understand fully, living out as true, that your earthly treasures will be gone someday, maybe taken from you, see how you respond when you give them away. See how you respond when you share them with other people. So he says, if, if you want to get this right, this will benefit your whole person being generous. You'll, you'll, you'll live this out. And as an indicator, you'll live this out if you're generous. I think there's another application here, though, that this it could be applied more generally to our lives. If then the light in your, you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So I think looking back onto the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity and blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness and purity play in here too. I had this experience several years ago where I was in our backyard and a blood, unbeknownst to me at the time, a blood vessel broke on the inside of my eye. And what happened was I felt like there's something in my eye because I could see, you know, they call them a floater, I think. 
And I was kind of stunned for a second. I went into the bathroom and flushed my eye out and remember telling Sarah, I probably looked like bizarre just flushing my face full of cold water. And I was like, I think there's something in my eye. And it wouldn't go away and it wouldn't go away. And instead it continued to bleed on the inside of my eye. And there was this like black veil, almost like these black curtains over the windows that started going over my vision in my right eye. And over the course of the rest of that day, and thankfully I was able to see an eye doctor, and in in a couple weeks the problem resolved itself. But over the course of that day, it got worse and worse and worse and worse. I had this cloudy vision in one eye of this kind of looking at everything through a black veil. And it got so bad that my eye started to focus on it, so I had a headache. And it just kind of affected me, especially that initial day as my eye kind of adjusted to this new obstruction. It affected me pretty severely, and I started wondering, what's going to become of my vision in this eye? And I think the idea of that obstruction or that cloudiness of vision generally, outside of generosity, applies to this principle of earthly treasures and heavenly treasures too. See, if you want to know if you're valuing the right things and and investing in things with eternal reward and eternal benefit, you you could look at what you're looking at. You could say, what is in my vision that is obstructing or clouding it? What is in my vision that doesn't fit? Blessed are the pure in heart. What is in my vision that doesn't fit? Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. What other things am I looking at that I'm hungering after that don't fit right with Godness? It's much like that cloudiness in my vision. I think on a, on a human level, on a, in our level, the way we live our lives, our clouded vision, whether it be something like pornography looking at impure things while trying to do good things and invest in eternal things, they're incompatible. You can't do both. You can't divide up part of yourself for that and part of yourself for eternal investment for God's glory. Or while there be selfish things, I don't want to give away that. That would cost me too much. You can't be stingy and greedy as the, the Old Testament reference would imply. Or whether it be fearful things, what happens if I give this up? What happens if I trust God with this? What will really happen? Whatever it might be, that cloudiness. Jesus is warning us that clouded vision will corrupt our values. Clouded vision will corrupt our values because it will change the way we look at what's in front of us. The work that he's called us to do and invest in will look differently, will be affected, and ultimately our focus will be on that. It will be on that problem, that sinful thing, that distraction instead of the work that he's asking you to do, the true investment, the true treasure you're supposed to lay up in heaven. Because again, we can't divide our focus. So he says, this will affect all of you. That's the problem, right? We think we can kind of dabble over here, do our own thing sinfully, whatever it is. I don't know what it is for you. Whatever it is, you can side focus on this while most of you goes to God and Jesus is going to tell us pretty clearly here in a moment that's not how this works. You can't dabble in this thing that pleases you or softens the pain or encourages you in an earthly, fleshly way. You can't dabble in this on the side and and be fully focused on laying up treasures in heaven. Christ calls us to focus on our eternal reward. First, we do this by investing eternally, directly investing in that eternal treasure, that thing that can't be corrupted. We also do this by being aware, knowing, is my vision clouded? Do I have anything in my life obstructing my ability to see him and see his will clearly? 
Am I following through with the Beatitudes? Am I being pure in heart so I can actually see God? Or do I have things obstructing my vision? Do I have pure, unadulterated, undivided vision? So Christ boils this down really in one of the, the remaining couple verses here in kind of a hard truth. No one can serve two masters, he said. If you thought you could kind of multitask, you can't. Now, in your earthly life, you do do this, right? Many of you probably are dually employed and work for a couple different companies or a couple different businesses or maybe split your time between your homemaking and a part-time job. You might work for more than one master here on earth. But what's key to doing that, right? If you have more than one job, there's, I'm guessing there's a couple of you that do this. Well, one thing is you tell those bosses your availability, Right? Boss A gets this part of your week, this part of your day. Boss B gets this part of your day, this part of your week. Well, I'm sure you can see how that doesn't work with God. In fact, Jesus is going to say that here in a moment. You can't, you can't set out your hours of availability with God. You can't tell him what part of your week you're available to him, what part of your week is yours or someone else's. But we do that, right? We try to serve two masters, both we do that in our own lives as far as our hobbies and interests and, and work lives go, but we also do that in our relationship with God, don't we? We say, okay, God, I'm going to be here on Sunday morning. I'll be here on Sunday night. I'll come Wednesday. I'll do some overtime for you. I'll come Wednesday and I'll work a little extra. And then I'll come on uh, Monday and Tuesday and I'll do some devotions. But all the rest of the days, all the rest of the time in my day, what I think about, what I look at, what I talk about, the friends I keep, the company I keep, that's my time. We do that. For he will either hate the one and love the other, or, you will, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. See, Jesus is saying these two bosses that he'll name here in a moment, they're not like your earthly bosses where they'll share you where they'll take your hours of availability and say, okay, that's okay, Brandon, we'll take you Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and the other boss can have you. No, these two bosses are opposed to each other. They want opposite things out of you. And it's, it's more like slavery than it is like working for an earthly boss. The word here, serve, is to be owned by and work for, is to be a slave to. See, Paul uses that all the time, right? He calls himself a bondservant of Christ. But he says those who are slave to Christ who are actually free. You're actually free when you're a slave to Christ because of what he gives you. What he gives you is, is you give yourself to him as a slave. All of yourself to him. And he gives you all of himself back. He doesn't ask for anything from you that he hasn't already given ahead of time for you. You cannot serve God and money. And this word money could be exchanged with anything. All it is is the word mammon. You've probably heard that. Some of your translations probably say that. That just means whatever the object of your devotion and desire is, whatever it is that you are focused on, that you believe is going to give you security, happiness, pleasure, longevity, whatever it is, mammon. So you can fill in this blank. You cannot serve God and what is it for you? See, like I said, for you, for, for me at the, earlier, for me, it's time. I can't serve God in my own time. Why? Because he wants me to use my time for him. It's, it's time he's given me to begin with. And much like the servant 
in the parable, when I do well with that time, when I invest in eternal things with that time, maybe one day he'll greet me with, well done, good and faithful servant. When I invest that time in that way. I don't know what it is for you, but know this, you cannot serve God and money. Here's what I was really convicted with by this passage just this morning. And I'm going to offer this to you because maybe, Lord willing, if this passage helps you reorient your perspective, then his kingdom will come. His will will be done in your life. What was really convicting to me about this passage is, if I asked us, and I'm not going to do this, but if I asked myself, have you trusted God, have you trusted in Jesus for forgiveness of all of your sins? We'd raise our hands, right? We're happy to do that. You'd take all my sins. Be this, be this disposal program for all the evils I've ever committed. So if we trust him with all these transgressions, and we believe that he actually does something with them, we believe that they're as far as from the east as from the west, that they are before him no more in eternity. We believe that. I'm sure you'd raise your hand. But we somehow believe that with our treasures and our time, he would be less faithful. He'd be less able to handle, do less. You wouldn't get as much of a return from my treasures as I will. We trust him less with the good things and the treasures and our time and our energies and our eyes and our hearts and our generosity. We trust him less with that than we do with all of our sins. I'll offer you that this morning if that's convicting for you, if it's convicting to realize that we treat God as though he's like a garbage disposal, just give him all the junk. And not like he is the amazing creator and good shepherd and all-powerful all creator of the universe that he is, where he has it all under his control and a plan for every second of it. If, if you're like me and you're realizing, yeah, I look at him that way, well, then as a result of this morning and our time together, and God's word, because I believe it's, it's working in you like it's working in me, turn those things over to him too this week. Do that. Believe that he's as good with all of your treasure as he is to handle all of your transgressions. Believe that he can handle all of that as an investment in eternity. As much as you would be willing to raise your hand and say that he's taking all of our sins and moved them as far as from the east as from the west. So just know you have to declare this loyalty. You have to choose how you're going to be fully, fully serving as a slave would serve a master. Just know that this master is like no master you've ever had. He's a better master than you are of you and your time and your talents, all that you have. So invest eternally. Beware of clouded vision. And lastly, you have to be fully devoted. If we can break ourselves more off of this kind of dual employment, a little bit for God, some time for him, some of my talents for him, a little bit for Brendan, a little bit for whoever you are, if we can break ourselves out of that and just know, because I could spend, we could spend, because you could do this better than me maybe, we could spend all day talking about all of the cautionary tales of how quickly wealth can go away, how quickly health can leave us, how quickly our treasures can wash away like the sand on the shore. We could do that, but cautionary tales don't really stop us at the end of the day, do they? We've heard enough. We've seen enough, right? We've seen people lose $200 billion in a year, and it doesn't change our devotion or what we think might be, be different about us and different about how it plays out for us. 
So what's a practical way we can do this? Well, I'm going to ask you to join me in this. I'm going to ask you to join me in this right now. If you're at home or you're here together in the church family, it's going to maybe be a little uncomfortable, but I'd like you to stand. I'd like you to read the Lord's Prayer out loud with me. Because I believe as we read this, just like we sang, I'd rather have Jesus, as we read this out loud, we're going to realize you could pray, your will be done over my family, over my health, over my riches, over my time, whatever that mammon is for you. You can pray this prayer over that this week. I think it will change how you look at it. I think it will change your focus. Let's read together. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you can pray this prayer once a week, thank you, you can be seated. Thank you for reading along with us. If you can pray this prayer over whatever that mammon is, and as you see it, as it comes in front of your focus, say, God, remove the cloudiness, remove the impurity, remove that veil, and help me to see that this is truly yours. This is your will be done. This is your kingdom come. Whatever that is this week, if you can pray that over your family and your finances and whatever you treasure, then you'll be serving one master. You'll be serving God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for how you use it and send your spirit to give us understanding. I just pray as a result of this time that you've been glorified and that we'd follow you more tomorrow than we do than we did last week. That we'd follow you into uncertain things and that we'd follow you with our whole hearts and all we have. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.